Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So admittedly, this is a huge, huge topic. This is a pressing issue. This is a huge topic. And I'm just going to be honest, what we're going to be going over tonight is really going to be scratching the surface. It might feel at times like you're drinking from a fire hydrant, and that's probably going to be true, but I promise you we're just scratching the surface. So just here at the outset, I want to just direct you to a few resources. So if you have a phone that you can take a picture of any of these images on the screen, I want to just direct you to a few different things to take you a little bit deeper, a few books to begin with. Well, a website first. This website first, it's called sexchangeregret.com. It's curated by a man named Walt Heyer, who himself, way back in the day, was one of the first people to go through a sex reassignment surgery. And now what Walt does full-time is he gives a space and a form for research and uh, community testimony for people who've gone through this. And now it's a platform for them to be able to share their story and to try and get their voice out because one of the most persecuted voices in this whole issue are those who have gone through these procedures, regretted it, realized my problem wasn't my body, my problem was my psychology, and now the whole movement is trying to silence them tremendously. So sexchangeregret.com is an awesome place to get uh, some stories and some great information. A few books for you. This book by Abigail Schreier called Irreversible Damage. Anybody read this book in here? Okay, so a few of us. This book is tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Another book by uh, Ryan Anderson, When Harry Became Sally. <laughs> kind of funny, but it's also a brilliant book. These two books are fabulous. Uh, I want to direct you to this that's coming to the Diocese of Cleveland. It's a book study on this book called The Genesis of Gender by Dr. Uh, I think it's Abigail Favale. I think that's her name. Anyway, let me zoom in a little bit right here. This is how you can register to take part in this book study. It's happening at a few different locations around the diocese. Just go to tobcle.org backslash register. I've heard from a number of people who've read many, many books on this topic. They say that this is, quite honestly, the best book out there on the topic. So going through this book study would be really wonderful. Genesis of Gender. Okay. So... I have, uh, as Father Valenchek said, I've had the honor and privilege of speaking and teaching about St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body for many, many years, probably going back to, um, I mean, even before I was in the seminary, back to 2008, I've been teaching middle schoolers and high schoolers all about the dignity of the human person, why God has made us the way he's made us, all of these wonderful things, and there's always been contentious issues. There's always been tough, hot-button issues, but in the last three to four years, this transgender issue has become a third rail like no other issue. It is, it's lightning. It is such a problem right now. And here's the thing, the vast majority of those, let's start with this. I want to start by naming the good. Let me name the good and what I see in this, because this is an important thing, to be able to name the good. The vast majority of those people who defend the trans community, they are not motivated by ideology. We have to know that. The vast majority of people are not ideologues. They're not motivated by ideology. The vast majority of those who consider themselves allies in this trans movement, they're not ideologues. They haven't read the books. They haven't studied Herbert Marcuse or Jacques Derrida or Antonio Gramsci. They've not read Marx or Engels. They've not studied, you know, 
rules for radicals. They've not read the Communist Manifesto. They haven't studied Alfred Kinsey. They're not ideologues. What are they? They're people who have misplaced compassion is really what it comes down to. Like, I honestly think it comes down to compassion, misplaced compassion. This, this motivation to protect, this motivation to defend, this motivation to affirm that these folks, they don't want those who experience gender dysphoria to feel marginalized. And let's just be very clear, like, that's good. That's good. Like, because when we're talking about these folks who struggle with these issues, who genuinely struggle, struggle with these issues in these communities, these folks often already feel so marginalized and so misunderstood. And so that compassion impulse is good. It is good. Like, you, you don't get to pick on the little guy when you're a Christian. You don't get to other people. You don't get to say, well, you're good and you're bad. Right? Matthew 25, what does Jesus say? Whatever you did to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. We will be judged on that condition, on that criteria, right? So, like, let's praise the good here. So, like, so like you think it's good and right to defend others from being marginalized? Good. So do I. So does Jesus. Are we clear on this? Yes? Okay. But, there's a huge but, big but. This is where the whole culture has gone off the rails. For love to be authentic love, it has to be attached to the truth if it's going to be truly loving, right? Compassion detached from the truth is no longer compassionate. Love detached from the truth is no longer loving. It has to be attached to the truth. That's why I said we're addressing these issues in charity and truth. In charity and truth. Let me give you another, another example from a slightly different angle, another body dysmorphia issue. I want you to imagine, again, um, a young lady who's struggling with her own sense of her body, what we call anorexia, right? So this young lady, she thinks, she looks in the mirror, and she sees herself as morbidly obese, so overweight. All she can see is fat. And yet, the truth is, she is skin and bones. Right? Maybe some of you have people in your life who've dealt with this. It's not a negligible number of people. It would be monstrously unloving to agree with her own sense of her self-perception. Right? Nobody in this room, nobody would, would, would think that the loving thing is to agree and say, look, look, like, who am I to say? Like, if you think that you're overweight, then sweetie, yeah, I mean, who am I to tell you that you're not? Like, we all can see clearly that that's not the loving thing. That's not the loving thing. That's monstrously unloving. So the compassion and the love instinct to protect that fuels this whole movement, it is good, but since it is detached from the truth, it has turned into something really destructive, something really illogical. That's one of the things I was thinking about tonight, that this, this, topic, this topic isn't really that hard. Like, especially for the folks in, in the room here, right? Like, I, I, I thought, I've often thought as, as a young priest, as a newish priest still, that like, like the folks, like the martyrs of the early church, right? They got to have these debates and these discussions and they got to bleed and die over issues of like, how, how does God become flesh? How does the triune God become a person and dwell among us, right? The nature of Christ or the nature of the Trinity or how does divinity and humanity go together? Martyrs were made for these issues, right? Solving these unbelievably complex theological issues. 
And like, I'll probably be martyred because I say men are men and women are women, you know? Like, that's really annoying. Like, that doesn't feel very heroic. <laughs> like, like, what will that holy card look like? I don't know. It's just going to be like standing in front of a bathroom sign going, eh, like, like <laughs> I don't know. All right. So what I want to do tonight in the time that we have remaining, which is not a lot, I want to try and trace the origins of this movement. Where has it come from? And then I want to try to explain why it's so important that we get this issue right. Um, in other words, this is not... It seems obvious, and it seems like this is coming out of nowhere. It seems crazy, but this is not a peripheral issue. Like, this is not just a peripheral issue that church conservatives or these old curmudgeonly men in Rome are just hung up on. They just need to get with the times. No, this, this strikes at the very heart of the Christian claim. Right? This, is a, this is a question over bodiliness. The body's at the heart of it. We're going to get to that. The center point of the Mass, you are bidden to behold the body of Christ. Tertullian said, the flesh is the hinge of salvation, right? Jesus said, this is my body given for you. If we get the body wrong, we get all of Christianity wrong. All right, so repeat after me. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have bad consequences. All right, you can write that down. That's an important one. One of the people, one of the thinkers behind one of the worst ideas in human history is this Frenchie right here. Say hi to René Descartes. You say, bonsoir, René Descartes. Ha <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what is he just saying? Okay. All right, let's talk about René Descartes. René Descartes rejected all of previous tradition that had come to him. He was fed up and tired of all these competing philosophies and ideologies, and he just said, they all disagree. I want to arrive at some indubitable, rock-solid first principle upon which I can build my philosophy, my worldview. So he began this process of doubting everything, doubting that there's things outside of him, doubting the inherited wisdom that came to him, doubting his own existence, right? Maybe you remember from a philosophy 101 class, right, that, that Descartes realized that he could, he could be deceived about everything, but insofar as he was thinking, he couldn't be deceived that he existed. So this is where you get the famous cogito of René Descartes. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I exist. I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. So what he concluded is that what a human person is, what a human person is, is a non-physical thinking thing that's somehow associated with a mechanistic, machine-like body. Does that sound a little bit familiar, right? A non-physical non thinking thing associated with a mechanistic sort of machine-like body. Now, I know you're probably sitting there going like, like is, does that idea really matter? I'll tell you this. That idea has infiltrated every fabric, every level of society. It is in all of our minds. I'll just... We're just trying to do a little experiment to demonstrate this. Okay, so, all right, eyes up here, everybody. I want everyone to look at my body. Excuse me. I'm not sure why we're laughing here. I, uh, I worked out recently. Okay, would someone uh, venture to tell me, raise your hand, uh, why was that funny? Why is that awkward? Why did we laugh? Go ahead. 
normally you would just say, look at me, right? Normally you would just say, look at me. What would be the difference if I said, just look at me? To look at me, though, what else is there to look at besides my body? Right? See what I mean? It's funny and awkward if we say, look at my body. You're like, oh, we're looking at his body. It's so good looking, right? <laughs> but if I said, look at me, you're still looking at my body. Right? Because if my body's not in the room, who's not in the room? Me. I'm not in the room. Right? Or if, like, if I punch you, do you sue me and take me to court for property damages, or do you get me arrested for assault? We don't say stupid things like, hey, did you hear that Jenny's mom's body has cancer? No, you say, did you hear that Jenny's mom has cancer? Right? This is, this is, an, a, this is a, a, a very essential, important distinction that we are not... We are not, as Descartes said, these souls that inhabit bodies. We are body-soul units, a composite of body and soul. A composite of body and soul, a unity of our body and soul. So when René Descartes split the human person into the spiritual soul that inhabits a body, you can see how that laid the foundation for what people say today, very silly things like, I was born in the wrong body. Like, like, a, like a pilot who just got onto the wrong plane, right? Like, I'm, I, ooh, I'm in the wrong body. So what I need to do is I need to get in the right body. No, 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 you, you are the composite of your body and soul. So you can see now how Rene Descartes' I think, therefore I am has blossomed into what we see today, I think, therefore I am, whatever I think I am. Do you see? This is what we've inherited. This is what we've inherited. Okay, so this is the first layer of the, the history of all of this. But friends, while Descartes contributed tremendously to our confusion on this issue about sex and gender and the body and the human person, he's just a pawn. He's just a pawn in a much bigger battle that goes back to the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I mean like the beginning, beginning, like Genesis in the beginning, that kind of beginning. Theologians, saints, mystics, our whole tradition, they tell us that before God made the visible realm of creation, before he set about creating this universe and all of its beauty and full array, that God gave the angels who he made first, these non-spiritual persons, he, he gave the, the angels a vision, a semblance of a vision of what he was going to be doing, that he was going to make this material world. And in this material world, the, the, the pinnacle and climax of this creation was going to be this creature this human person, this hybrid of body and soul, this creature that spanned heaven and earth. And that not only that, but in the fullness of time, God was going to become one of these creatures. That the audacity that God was going to become one of these creatures who had a body, who had a body. And Lucifer, right, one of the brightest, most powerful angels, he looked at this, he looked at this plan, and with all of his hellish fury, he said, non serviam. Because, of course, the angels speak Latin, right? He said, I will not serve this plan. I will not serve this plan. And he went to war against the creature that God loves the most, which is pandas. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> they are cute, though, right? No, us. He went to war against us for one reason. We have bodies he went to war against us because we have bodies. Because what, of our, because what our bodies signify, because what our bodies make possible. 
that our bodies give us the capacity for not only communion, but union, and that God was going to take on a body. He went to war because of our bodies. He hates our bodies, our male and female bodies, which are capable of union and communion and procreation and participating in the divine life. This is from a book that I read a few years ago by this Italian exorcist named Father Francesco Bamonte. It's not the kind of book you want to read at night, but the book is called The Virgin Mary and the Devil in Exorcism. So what he did is he took the, the things that demons would utter in exorcisms under compulsion and he would kind of pair them up, compare them to Catholic dogma, Catholic teaching. The demons, when forced, they are... They just agree with the Catholic Church. How about that? Anyway, okay. This is what was uttered in one of the exorcisms. One day I heard a demon shout, I am Lucifer, the most luminous of all the angels of heaven. I will never lower myself, never, to a God who becomes human flesh and who assumes human traits in a human body. The repugnance that we experience when he entered into that flesh, only we know. I am pure spirit. Why not I instead of that nature, that human nature? Why? I am God and she, Mary, was put over me? Why should she have been? I would never bow to a creature, one created to be below me. I will not tolerate that she be next to him and over me. I was the most beautiful angel. The immaculate one is the greatest insult of your God to us. She is only flesh. I am pure spirit. I am pure spirit. No, she is not. She, higher than I, I am pure spirit. I cannot bear this, this putrid flesh, the purity of her body. It was never, ever touched. We did not succeed with her. Whew. He hates not simply our souls. He hates our flesh. He hates our bodies. And he's been seeking with great success to blind us to the meaning of our being made male and female from the beginning and the, the call of the two to become one flesh. And the question is, why? Why is he after that? Why is he aiming all of his hell and fury at marriage and sex in the family? Because he knows that our embodiment, our maleness and femaleness, marriage, sex, and the life-giving union that's created there, like, it is the sign that reveals God's plan for salvation. It is the decoder ring. It is the lens that makes sense of the whole story. Because Christianity, friends, it is not merely the religion of the Word. It's the Word made flesh. We are the religion of the Word made flesh. I was listening to a speaker a few months ago. He was talking about how in the... Uh, the 16th century, well, in the Protestant Reformation, it laid the groundwork for this, this idea, that the Reformation, it gave birth to an entirely new form of Christianity that never existed before, a non-liturgical, a non-embodied Christianity, right? A Christianity that was just simply about interior faith, intellectual assent, not about the embodied rituality that comes through Christianity, right? It's a Christianity without the body, without liturgy, without the church. Here's what I want you to see, though. But we are, we are, not, we are not saved by right thinking. 
You're not saved if you have enough of the right thoughts. We're not saved by a decree. We are saved by Jesus' body. We're saved by His body given through Mary's body, communicated to us in our bodies, which is accessible through His body, which is the church. Body, 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 flesh, 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 flesh. Do you see? Do you see? The body's at the center. The body's at the center. And what is this, what is this, the gift of salvation look like that comes to us through Christ and his body? It looks like an embrace. Right? The privilege analogy that God gave us in the scriptures to understand what salvation is, is the image of human spousal love. From beginning to end, the entire Bible is telling this love story. The Bible begins with a marriage in Eden. The Bible ends with a marriage in Revelation. That the entire story of salvation is this story of a bridegroom who has come to give his body himself to the bride. And he's begging of her, open to me to receive the gift I have for you. St. John Paul II, my hero, he put it this way. That the sacrament of redemption, so the mystery of redemption, he says... It's clothed itself, so to speak, in the figure and the form of the primordial sacrament. What's the primordial sacrament? The first sacrament, marriage. Marriage. What John Paul II is saying is that redemption looks like saying yes to a marriage proposal. That's what this story is. It is a wild love story. It's a wild love story. This is what St. Paul refers to in his letter to the Ephesians as the great mystery. Ephesians chapter 5, the great mystery. That we, the church, we are the bride who are called to open ourselves like Mary to the gift that comes from the heart of the Father, which is his divine word, his divine seed, his son. What was the gospel that we had this weekend? A sower goes out to sow. Some seed falls on the path, some seed falls among thorns, some seed falls among the rocks, but some seed falls on rich and fertile soil. We're called to be the rich and fertile soil, just like Our Lady. Okay, so here's what I want us to see, that God made the male and female to be the sign that would prefigure, that would point to, that would unpack what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved. So marriage, sexual intimacy, the the kind of life-giving communion that comes through this embodied male-female relationship, it's the thing that makes sense of the whole story. This is the thesis statement of John Paul II's master project, The Theology of the Body. He says the body has been created to transfer into the visible realm of creation the invisible mystery hidden from eternity in God and thus to be a sign of it that the body tells the story. Our bodies reveal the story. So if you get rid of maleness and femaleness, embodied masculinity, embodied femininity, then this, the biblical concepts of bridegroom and bride or the idea of the wedding supper of the Lamb, the marriage feast of heaven, all of those things lose their meaning. The enemy is after the words, right? Jesus is the word. The enemy is the anti-word, right? There's the Christ and the anti-Christ. There's the logos and the anti-logos. He's after the words. 
redefining the words man, woman, family, marriage, sex. He's redefining the words. He wants to eliminate our capacity to understand the mysteries of our faith. So again, if you are the devil, and if you wanted to cause the most confusion in the hearts and minds of God's children, you would warp their understanding of the body, of marriage, of sexuality. You would convince humanity that maleness and femaleness is a social construct that doesn't have any inherent meaning. Friends, welcome to our world. Can I get an amen? amen. This is what he's doing. This is our world. This is what we see all over the place. This is what we see. He's going after the words. He's going after our bodies. Anybody remember Blue's Clues? This is a, a clip from Blue's Clues. This is, this is just normal. This is, what, this is what he's doing. And let's just be clear. The, the people who are involved in this, they are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. We need to stay very clear on that. The enemy is our battles, with, not with flesh and blood, with principalities and powers, right? Demonic forces. The enemy is the enemy. The people, the artists, these pe they're not the enemy. If we lose sight of that, we, lose the, we, we fall right into his trap. The enemy is the enemy. Have you guys seen this? This was, uh, this was tweeted out by um, Summa Health System the other day, not too long ago. I don't remember learning that in biology, but maybe I'm just behind the times. I want, you to, I want to prepare you for this. I want to show you a clip of a, a very popular social media influencer. I'm not even going to say his name. But this is a person who creates these videos, and he puts them out specifically for, uh, for young adolescent kids. Your parents screwed up. It's okay to say so. <laughs> That's why I made a Patreon, so that we could talk about it, so that we could connect in a way that has more privacy, so that we could talk to each other in a way that's uh, more open and stuff that we wouldn't share like in the comments of a video like this. I think you're worthy and valuable, and I wanted to spend more connected time with you, healing together, and hearing your deeply inspiring stories. This is just one example of literally thousands that I could have pulled. With great, with great reverence, again, the, these, these individuals are incredibly confused, misled, and the people who want to support them are, you know, the people who want to support the people who are hurting. Again, compassion is good, but if compassion is divorced from truth, it's no longer compassionate, right? Truth and love, they have to go together. Truth and love have to go together. Pope Benedict, he talked about when he was, actually before he was Pope, he gave an address at Regensburg. Um, I think that's in Germany. Yeah, thank you. And he talked about the dictatorship of relativism that's coming into our world now, that that's the greatest evil we're facing, this dictatorship of relativism, this inability to say that black is black and white is white, that two plus two is four, to be able to declare truth. I want, to show you, I want to show you what it looks like when love and support, when love and truth become totally detached. This is what it looks like on our college campuses and our high schools and in our grade schools.
there's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go to whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether you're sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'd be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I'd say, good for you, like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally, you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? <laughs> that I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six if you truly believe you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. So you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I'd say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, like that's wrong to believe in it. Cause I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yeah. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he's not a 6'5 Chinese woman. But clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult?
we're doomed. <laughs> Why is it so hard to tell a five foot nine inch white guy isn't a six foot five inch Chinese woman? Well, because we've divorced truth from love. We've divorced truth from love, truth from compassion, this blind affirmation, you catch the one person saying, well, if you feel that way, right? If you feel mentally like you're in first grade, all of them need to go back to first grade. Okay, let's talk about the truth of this word gender for a moment. Gen is the root of the word gender. It's a Greek root. It's related to other words. It's, it's seen in other words like generous or generate or progeny or genesis or this one, genitals. I know we weren't thinking we were going to be talking about genitals at Theology on the Rocks, but here we are. The root of the, this root gen, it means to give life to, to be, to, to be at the origin of, right? That's what this word means. So one's gender, listen, one's gender is determined by the manner in which one generates the next generation. Let me say it again. One's gender is determined by the manner in which one generates the next generation, and that's determined by the genitals that you have. So again, uh, my holy card, uh, here you go. The question of identity, it's a psychological question. Right? Identity is not hardwired at birth. There are many mysterious and complex reasons why someone might experience gender dysphoria, meaning a, there's a disconnect between one's psychological inner sense of themselves and their bodily reality. There's, a, there's many complex reasons for that. Tonight's not the night to go into those reasons, right? The child might be misperceiving relational dynamics within the family. The, person might have experienced trauma. They might have been exposed to intense, hardcore pornography. Who knows? Or like what we're seeing in the world today, especially uh, as detailed in that book by Abigail Schreier, this social contagion, especially among young adolescent girls. But here's the thing. For those who experience this, that their inner sense of who they are doesn't match their body, the loving thing is to help them bring their thinking into conformity with their being. That's the loving thing, right? AKA reality, not the other way around through extremely dangerous and life altering drug and hormone and surgical procedures that just determine the rest of your life. Here's the, here's the truth, here is the truth. There is no such thing as gender, as sex reassignment surgery or sex change. There's no such thing as sex reassignment or sex change because, well, there's procedures, yes, there's procedures that can give that can alter the body's outward appearance to make it look as though it has the characteristics of the opposite sex. But you cannot change the sex. You cannot have sex reassignment because sex was never assigned to begin with. Nearly every single cell in that person's body is either XX female or XY male. You cannot change that. Think of it this way too, right? Ask yourself or ask someone who believes this stuff. If our genitals and other secondary sex characteristics have nothing essentially to do with revealing our gender, if, if what my body manifests in the area of my sexuality, especially the primary and secondary sex characteristics, if those parts of my body have nothing to do with my gender identity, why are those the parts of the body that get operated on? 
Why not like rhinoplasty or tummy tucks or some Botox? It's because everyone knows that our bodies reveal our gender, our bodies reveal our person. And in fact, there are activists, trans activists today, who even are rejecting the entire idea of sex reassignment surgery, right? It's no longer, I'm a biological male who identifies as a woman. Now you have people saying, I am a woman, and I don't need to have surgery to change that because, I mean, what is a woman anyway? I, I can determine what a woman is. It can be a six foot, five inch Chinese woman if I want. That's where this is all headed. Speaking of that phrase, what is a woman? If you haven't yet seen Matt Walsh's documentary by that same title, What is a Woman? You should get it. You should watch it. It's available on dailywire.com. This is a free promo, free ad for those people. Um, they're not paying me to say it. It is extraordinary. It's an absolutely, who's seen this documentary? Do you agree? Yes or yes? Yes. It is a phenomenal documentary that's all, it's initially entertaining to watch and then it's, you might need a barf bag uh, as it turns. Okay. So all of this, it might not seem like a big deal, right? Fine. You want to say you're a woman in a man's body? Fine. Who does that really hurt? It, it, it hurts a lot of people. It hurts the person. Let's begin with the person who's confused. And in a huge way, what we're seeing in the world today is it hurts especially women and children tremendously. Like what, what happens when that biological man is undressing in the same lady's locker room as you at the gym? Right? How do you know that that man is not in there with predatory motives? And I know we like the, the trans community, the, that community, so that's not a reality. No, it is a reality. It is a reality. Remember, in 2021, there was a, a, a video that went viral from Los Angeles, a spa in Los Angeles, where there was a man undressing in this lady's locker room, and this lady was recording and was going nuts, talking to the people at the front desk, you can't let this man be in here. And they're like, well, he identifies as a woman. Turns out, turns out, two months after that video was posted, that person was arrested for indecent exposure, and it was not the first time that had happened, right? There was a predatory motive. Or this story, this man's, I think he's 40 years old now, but a guy by the name of Joseph Roman, who molested two six-year-old girls and an eight-year-old girl, and when he was being arrested, he kept on asserting to the police, I'm a nine-year-old trapped in an adult's body. He kept saying, I'm a nine-year-old. I identify as nine years old. So, let's just look at the premises. If it's true, if it's, if it's, if it's possible for a, a man to say, I, my inner sense of who I am is the determining factor of what I actually am, who are we to say that he is not actually a nine-year-old trapped in a man's body? Do you take him to to, to prison, or do you take them to a juvenile delinquent center? We have now men in women's prisons by the thousands. We have trans men, so those are trans women, so biological men, who are impregnating women by the hundreds, by the thousands in prisons, because they know that they can have access to these things. This is the end of Title IX. This is the end of women's spaces. This is the end of women's sports. Let's just look at some of these pictures. This is the top female powerlifter in the world. This is one of the top female track athletes in the world. It's one of the top female rugby players. One of the top female swimmers. 
This one I find fascinating. This is a, a trans woman, so a man by the name of Fallon Fox. So this is a man who transitioned to become a woman um, or appear as a woman who is a UFC fighter, so cage fighting. Fallon Fox fought the current world champion, a, a fighter named, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name. It'll come to me. Anyway, this, this other woman, undefeated, world champ, gets in the ring with Fallon Fox and was utterly pummeled. Cracked skull, sent to the emergency room. She said in an interview later, I have never felt so overpowered in my life. And you had thousands of people sitting there paying customers, watching a man beat this woman nearly to death. Sex cannot be reassigned because it was never assigned in the first place. Sex is a biological given from the moment of conception. We're a sexually dimorphic species, right? When that sperm met that egg, it was determined by the presence or the absence of a Y chromosome in the DNA how the whole body's body plan would develop, right? In a organized in a male way to become in maturity a father or organize in a female way so that in maturity that person becomes a mother, right? When we were born, or for many of us, even before we were born, right, someone, ultrasound tech or somebody like that, identified us, right? I think it's funny that at the same time this whole trans movement is exploding, this whole gender reveal party is also exploding. Just. One of these things doesn't work here, right? But so the, the ultrasound tech is going to identify us, and, and they're looking, right? What are, where, where are they looking? Are they looking at our kneecaps? Like earlobes, elbows? No, they're looking between the legs, looking for genitals. Remember, again, our genitals reveal the manner in which we generate the next generation. And friends, there's only two ways to generate the next generation because we're a sexually dimorphic species. You either generate by receiving the seed, conceiving, gestating that child, thereby becoming a mother, or you generate the next generation by giving the seed, and you thereby become a father. Only two ways. Only two ways. This union, is, like I've been saying, this union is so much more than just a biological reality. Right? Our God speaks in sign language. Creation is the first revelation of who the creator is, and the, and the pinnacle of creation is the masterpiece that came on the last day, the man and the woman. Right? This reality, male, female, husband, wife, this is, this is the foundation for our understanding of the entire story of Christianity. It's one long love story. And the reason why marriage and sex and gender are so attacked today is because there really is an enemy who wants to confuse us and who wants to divert us away from our final end, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right? Again, it's not just men in Rome who are hung up on these ideas. It's this truth that radiates from Christ that liberates right? the bridegroom who's inviting the bride to open herself and to receive. I want to end here. Maybe I should have started here, but this is a good place to end it. Hopefully, it'll give us hope. I know I went kind of over, but there's, this is too much to cover here for a 20-minute talk. Okay. So 1917, the Blessed Mother, she began appearing to these three Portuguese children in which country? In Fatima, Portugal. Very good. Our Lady of Fatima. 
And as we all probably know, Our Lady delivered three messages, three, uh, what's become known as the three secrets, the three secrets of Fatima. She predicted, she predicted that a great war, another great war would spread throughout the world. She predicted that Russia would spread her errors throughout the world, and she predicted that the Holy Father would have much to suffer, would have much to suffer. Most people think that Our Lady was talking about that communism would spread throughout the world. In part, that's true, but what she was really getting at is the deep error at the heart of communism, which is this belief you have to get rid of the, West, the, the nuclear family. You have to overcome, get rid of maleness and femaleness. Our Lady also said, Our Lady also said, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. In the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. Fast forward to... Uh, to the establishment in the 1980s of what's called the John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family. So John Paul II is trying to establish this teaching arm of his pontificate to spread these ideas out into the culture, to give the world this medicine. And he asked a cardinal named Cardinal Kafara to be the first president of this university, and he was struggling so much to get this off the ground. And so just on a whim, he wrote to the then-aged Sister Lucia, right, Sister Lucia, who was the child, the oldest child of the visionaries in Fatima. He just asked her to pray for him. Sister Lucia wrote back and said, my dear Cardinal, my dear Cardinal Kafara, the final and decisive battle will be fought over the issue of marriage and family. He who fights on the side of marriage and family will always be persecuted. But she reassured him again, in the end, Our Lady said, her immaculate heart will triumph. So be a happy warrior. Friends, this is our invita invitation as well, to be these hopeful, happy, joyful warriors. So, I've already spoken too much. Let's end in prayer, and let's get a little time for break and refreshments. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, through the inter intercession of St. John Paul the Great, the witness to hope, and through our, the intercession of Our Lady of Fatima, we ask you, Father, to fortify our hearts in the truth, to consecrate us in the truth as you promised Jesus at the Last Supper, and to give us hope, to give us the courage and boldness to be witnesses who speak the truth. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. For allies who don't want to defend, who don't want to offend others, what are the best ways to help those see the truth via John Paul II's TOB, especially teens? Hang on, I'm going to read another one. Um, what is the church's position on allowing transgender students and teachers in Catholic schools? Um, will students be allowed to play on identified male or female sports teams, bathrooms? The real quick answer to that is, is no. The diocese is drafting, and I already think already has drafted. I don't want to speak too authoritatively on it, but I'm pretty positive the diocese has drafted, is drafting, will be putting out very significant um, policies on this, in this regard. And I want to direct your attention to uh, Mary Wagner. Help me with this, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, I want to recommend personandidentity.com. This is... It is a goldmine for, um, as she says, the premier Catholic site for parishes and parents and schools on this topic. Person and 
identity.com. Um, just awesome, awesome resources. And a lot of the questions that you asked have um, responses, articles, great content there. What do you think of the local Catholic high schools having LGBTQ clubs? Um, terrible, deplorable, should be condemned. So there you go. Um, there's those. Um, yeah. It's just not Catholic. It's just not who we are. It's just not what we believe. Um, in the war on marriage and family and the Descartes concept of separation of mind and body, would virtual reality and leaving the body behind be the next great threat? Absolutely. Yeah, this whole transhumanism thing, this transcending the body through technological means, through artificial um, uh, augmented reality, all of those things, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's coming. That's the next step. It's, it's just going to get weirder. Like, we are, we are not yet at the end of... Um, this, this sexual revolution, we're not at the end of, I mean, there's still a few more uh, laps on the track here of craziness and chaos. It's going to get dark before it gets darker, okay? So that's where we're going. But who wins in the end? Who wins in the end? The Lord does. He's already won, right? Here's, here's an image I want to give you. You ever, I want you to imagine, right, who, so picture Our Lady, right, stepping on the serpent's head. That's who she, that's what she is, right? She's the the crusher of the serpent's head. And imagine now that serpent, its tail is just whipping furiously, right? Just... That's what we're living through. We're living through the age in which the serpent's tail is whipping furiously because he knows his time is at an end. He knows he's already lost and he's just, he's rearranging furniture on the Titanic because he knows it's going down and he's trying to take as many people down with him as possible. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, da, 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 da. It is difficult to be compassionate when we are being forced ev uh, even legally to accept the ideology of transgenderism. It is shoved down our throats and it is uh, something. Um, what to do? I'm going to recommend uh, two things for you. This year, I think, I forget what anniversary it is, but Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave an unbelievable speech 30 or 40 years ago. I'm not sure many years ago. Some decades ago. Harvard commencement speech shocked the world, rocked the world. Read that speech. Read that speech. Also, read these two books. Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreher and Tortured for Christ by Richard Warmbrand. I'm going to give you just the very quick, short, not politically correct answer to this question is be prepared to suffer. We have to be ready for suffering. We have to be ready for martyrdom. If you think that your path to glory somehow bypasses a cross, that's the Antichrist. That's not, that's not the Lord. He, he invites everyone that he loves to the cross. So, yes, it's, it's going to be difficult. Even with the pressure of legality being applied to us, like, we have to be willing to suffer some green martyrdom financially. We have to be willing to suffer white martyrdom, reputation martyrdom, friend martyrdom, job martyrdom. And like every other century of the church, even our lives, I'm just being totally honest, right? Read Tortured for Christ by Richard Warmbrand. This is a Lutheran pastor who's, who spent, I think, 14 years, two different stints, 14 years in the, in the gulag, in the Soviet gulag. 
you, you won't be thinking about HR execs when you're reading that book. You're going to be thinking about Jesus and the martyrs. Okay? Okay. Can you speak on same-sex attraction? Yes, I can. Um, <laughs> invite me back to speak on that. Um, could you speak on how contraceptives have driven the acceptability we see now in the transgender moment? Yeah, it's, um, boy, that's a big question. Um, yeah. When heterosexual couples inherently sterilize their, their sexual activity, when, let me put it this way, it is not possible for same-sex couples to elevate what they do with their bodies to the same level that heterosexual couples do with their bodies. Their unions, homosexual couples' unions, what they do with their bodies can never be and are intrinsically, they're, they're never fruitful and are intrinsically sterile. It's not possible for them to elevate, to raise what they do with their bodies to the level of what heterosexual couples do with theirs. But it is possible for heterosexual couples to lower what they do with their bodies to the level of what homosexual couples do with theirs. Namely, sterilizing their unions, right? Sterilizing their union. So it's all in the same cake. It's all in the same stew. It's this, it's this war against the body. It's this war against the givenness of the body. Um, that one of the things that Pope Paul VI said in Humanae Vitae is, is that built into the temptation of contraception is an idea of, um, is the temptation of um, manipulating the givenness of creation in the human body. So you see how it's just, it's just another step on the ladder of chaos. So yeah, it, it certainly has... Um, it's a foundational role in giving us this sense that the body is the problem. The body and I are in this antagonistic war and I can overcome the body and what it does and what it's doing through these mechanistic technological means. So it's, it's all within the same realm there. Um, oh, there's so many really good questions. Um, how do you respond in love when you are accused of spreading hate when you speak the truth? Uh, I would say you, you, should, you should be reading the Gospels a lot more and just watching what happens to Jesus. Or read the Acts of the Apostles. Watch what happens to them. Like, re respond how they respond. Respond how he responds. That goes back to the, the suffering and martyrdom bit. Um... How should we approach the issue of children seeking to transition? Um, there's a lot of nuances to this question that are kind of nebulous, and it's like, is it, are they your children? Are they your grandchildren? Is it just children? But I'll say this, that the, um, there, there will be law firms set up 10, 20 years from now whose entire industry is were you harmed by a transgender operation? Call Freeman Damiano and Smith. <laughs> Call us. We will sue your gender clinic. Do you know that in 2007, there was one pediatric gender clinic in the United States? And now there's over 300, right? How should we respond? Well, I think we should take a lot of cues from the pro-life movement. I think we should be very shrewd. Um, we should be unrelenting in, in speaking the truth. Um, 
I think like Walt, what, 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 what Walt Heyer is doing with sexchangeregret.com, I think we need to be megaphones and amplifiers to those voices as much as we can because they are giving, they are unmasking the lie. They are unmasking the lie that this did not help me. The problem wasn't my body. We need to amplify those voices. Um, and if there is a child in your orbit of influence who is seeking transition, the first thing you should try to do is like, get their phone away from them. That's the first thing you should try and do. Get, get them disconnected from the social influences that are breathing into them this encouragement and saying, yes, this is where you'll find affirmation. This is why, where you'll find community and connection and identity. Right? If you disconnect them from those lying voices and get them reconnected to the voices of family that actually love them, that will speak truth and charity, also, if you get them back out in nature, right? So many of these kids, I'm so blown away by how often, like, how little time kids spend connected to nature these days. I, yeah, I, this wasn't in the context of confession, so I can share this, but I was giving this advice to a, a young person recently about just who is just so agitated and so um, dysregulated by so much going on in his life. And I just said, this, I, I'm not telling you what to do, but... I just think like if I was a doctor prescribing something to you, I would say, I think you should just go out in the woods where you can't hear cars and sit at the base of a tree for 20 minutes a day. Just sit, just, just be at the foot of a tree. I know that sounds really hippie and ridiculous, right? But <laughs> he told me two weeks later, he said, that was the, that was the best advice you've ever, like, you've ever given that I've ever received. He's like, he just, it, it brought him back in touch with reality. We are so out of touch with reality. Okay, so that's what I guess I would say to that, and there's so much more. Um, um, yeah, that's the same question. Okay. Um, another question about how do we love those who are in same-sex relationships. I'm, again, that's just like, that's an, another semester's worth of, of conversation. I'm going to direct you to... Um, the website is encourage. I'm blank. Oh, hang on, I have it on my phone. Hold on. Couragerc.org. And under programs, if you look for the Cleveland chapter of this of this organization called Courage or Encourage, Encourage is for those who are supporting those who want to love those who are uh, experiencing same-sex attraction, those sorts of experiences, and and transgender issues. I believe transgender issues too. I believe yes. So um, they would be able to speak so much more eloquently to those issues than I could about this. Also, another great resource on YouTube. It's a video that was put out. I forget who produced it. Um, Blackstone Films, maybe. The Third Way. If you search on YouTube, The Third Way. It's about a half hour long. It's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, okay, how much more time do I have? We're cutting it off. Friends, I just want to thank you so, so, so much for these incredible questions, for your attention, for being here tonight. You didn't have to be here. You're here, and I'm so grateful because I would look pretty stupid if there wasn't an audience talking about all this stuff. So thank you very much. Um, Father Balanchek.